0: Before I begin this episode, I want to let you all know that I will be switching the format of the podcast. First of all, there will be a name change to just the Scarecast, as I will be dropping the Scary Stories and Creepypasta. I will not be doing Scary Stories as much, as I feel less attached to this sort of work. I will now be going over strange cases, mysteries, paranormal activities murders, hauntings, and much more. I want to bring real cases to you guys as it is more interesting to me, and I hope it will be to you as well. I also want you all to know that I often post updates on my Instagram page at Horror, which I will link in the description. Also, I have a Snapchat which I use to send notifications of new episodes at Mad Mike Horror as well, and a Facebook page Mad Mike or Mike Madsen. Please connect with me on social media so you can be up to date on what's going on with my podcast. On this episode of the Scarecast, I will go over four cases: the haunting of San Canyon Road, the Vanishing Hotel. Walt Disney's ghost and Dan Aykroyd's Men in Black encounter—a night that was supposed to birth memories for four teenagers on their prom night, instead, birthed a haunting urban legend that has existed in the city of Canyon Country since the '80s. These four teenagers, one girl. And three boys had just left their high school prom and had gone for a drive down one of the many long stretches of road in canyon country California known as San Canyon Road. The teenagers were headed to an area known as Nike Missile Site LA94, an area where local teens would often hang out and party. Little did the teenagers know This would be the last drive they would take as the car would suddenly swerve out of control and would crash into a tree on the corner of Sand Canyon Road and Warm Springs Drive. The only girl in the car was still alive and would cry for help, but unfortunately would see her end when no one would arrive. According to the urban legend, Some locals claim that the spirit of a girl can be seen around the actual crash site around midnight to 3 a.m. The girl would often appear to run towards the person who spots her, and request help for her injured friends, her hair flying on all sides, her face completely ruined. The girl is said to have entirely white eyes, and half her skull is visible around her nose and mouth. Sometimes she is said to even launch at the person as if she is trying to take them with her. Luckily, in all cases, either the person escaped in time or the girl disappeared into thin air. Another ghost, also described in the area, is that of a Meltine. One documented event in which a Meltine is encountered is brought about by paranormal investigator Destiny Soria. The host of the YouTube series Ghost Talk, which I will link in the description below. According to Saria, who had walked over to the crash site around midnight, along with several other companions, she had asked during an EVP session if she was in the correct place. To her surprise, a teenage guy responded, Yes, we're here. Along with this, Soria also heard footsteps and growling in the nearby bushes. Unfortunately, she did not encounter any other paranormal activity after this night, even during a second investigation. Along with these reports, people have often felt weird vibes on the road and the feeling of being watched. Unfortunately, there are no official reports directly tied to this incident. Although some people have linked the accident to Laura Strickland, a 17-year-old girl who was involved in a car crash in the same area as a result of drunk driving. Although there are no official reports, this story is kept alive by those who retell it. Back in the year 1979 a group of friends decided to turn in for the night while on their way to Spain. Geoff Simpson, Pauline Simpson, along with their friends Lynn Gisby and Cynthia Gisby, found a somewhat comfortable motel and decided that they would retire there for the night. Upon entering this motel, they were informed that the motel was booked up for the night and that they should take a gander at the hotel down the road. The tired group walked down the narrow road, noticing some unique details about the path that they were taking. The one detail, which Pauline specifically remembered, were the old advertisements for circuses. In her own words, "'It was a very old-fashioned circus,' That's what piqued our interest. For this reason, the old circus advertisements have stuck in their heads since. After some time, they noticed a building up ahead, which they safely assumed was the hotel that they had been looking for. After talking to someone who was standing outside the building, they were informed that the building was actually an inn not a hotel. They decided to continue their search down the road, and eventually ran into two other buildings. One of these buildings was a police station, the other was the hotel they had been searching for. The interior was, so to say, different. It couldn't be described as old-fashioned, but there was no sign of any modern designs or objects. There were no telephones or elevators, a lack of materialistic design, and the majority of the furniture was made from wood. The couples got themselves two rooms, and headed up to the bed only to find that the rooms were just as strange as the rest of the hotel. Neither of the rooms had been equipped with door locks, but rather wooden hatches. The rooms shared a bathroom, which had been equipped with very outdated plumbing, and the bedsheets were very heavy and thick. The couples quickly ate and headed to bed. The next morning, they awoke to find themselves even more surprised. Upon the sunlight shining through the windows, they noticed that the windows were merely shutters without glass they headed to the dining room, describing the breakfast as simplistic and the coffee as black and horrible, as described by Geoff. Something that caught their eye, which has stuck in their mind since, was a woman who entered the dining room after them and sat directly across from them. She held a small dog under her arm, but her clothing was what stood out. She was dressed in a silk gown, implying that she had just returned from some sort of party. Pauline stated, It was strange. It looked as though she had just returned from a ball of some sorts, but it was currently 7 in the morning, and I couldn't take my eyes off her. Following on from this, two policemen entered the room, wearing old and simply out-of-the-place uniforms. Geoff stated, Their uniforms looked very old, definitely not something I'd expect to see nowadays, and described them as wearing dark blue uniforms and also wearing capes. When they were leaving the hotel, Geoff and Lin spoke to the policemen about which would be the best way in which they can take the auto route to both Avignon and the Spanish border. Neither of the officers appeared to understand what the men were talking about. Thus, the men simply assumed that they hadn't made accurate translations. The couples were given bad directions, which would have resulted in them being stuck on an old road, several miles out from civilization they decided that they would use a map to find their own way there, but nonetheless thanked them. Upon checking out of the hotel, Gioff spotted that they had only been charged a total of 19 francs. Assuming that a mistake had been made, he reminded the manager that all four of them had ate at the hotel as well as having stayed there, to which the manager reassured him, that it had all been taken into account for in the bill. Although confused on how little the bill was, Geoff paid in cash and the couples left the building. After two weeks of traveling, the couples decided to return home, and upon remembering how cheap the hotel was that they stayed at, they decided that they would give it another shot and stay there for the night. However, even though they had followed the exact directions to where the hotel was located on the map, they struggled to find it. Pauline stated that this is without a doubt the road that it was on. Everyone agreed for the simple fact that they saw the old-fashioned circus posters still plastered along the walls. They followed the map, made several changes to their route, but still had no luck in finding the hotel. This arose the question, where could the hotel have gone, especially if they were so sure that it was where they were looking? The couples decided to go even further back on their route and return to the motel where they had first visited. They arrived at the motel and inquired at the desk telling the men working there that a man in a plum uniform had told them about the hotel. The men told them that there was no one of that description currently working there, and that they had no knowledge of a hotel existing where they had stayed. They drove to and from the hotel's location several times, but had no luck in it showing up. Instead of continuing their search, they drove to another hotel in Lyons, which cost them a total of 240 francs, a huge step up from the cheap hotel that they'd previously stayed in. Once they returned home from their travels, Geoff and Lin had their camera rolls processed so that they could see the pictures of the hotel which they had taken for themselves. After they had them processed, they found that the pictures of the hotel were nowhere to be found. They should have been in the middle of the camera roll, but simply weren't there. According to a reporter, there was clear evidence that the camera had attempted to take a photo, as there are sprocket holes on the negative images which show damage has been inflicted. Over the years, both of the couples have kept their story to themselves, and decided only to tell some of their close family members and friends. After pondering for some time, it was one of their friends who later read about the uniforms which the French policemen wore. These uniforms were those which were worn in France shortly before 1905. There is no logical explanation for what could have caused this occurrence other than time travel. According to Geoff, only they know what happened that night. The construction of Disneyland began on July 16, 1954, and Walt Disney. The creative mind behind the park chose to stay on the property to oversee its creation. Walt stayed in an apartment located on the second floor of the firehouse building on Main Street, and was known to always leave his desk lamp on whenever he was present in the apartment. Unfortunately, eleven years after the park's opening in 1955, Walt passed away after battles with lung cancer. Although Walt passed away in 1966, it is believed that his spirit made its way back to his old apartment in Disneyland to continue watching over the place he cherished the most. According to legend, there was a janitor working one night, not too long after Walt had passed away. The janitor was cleaning Walt's old apartment when she noticed the desk lamp was on. After she finished cleaning, she turned off the desk lamp right before leaving. As she headed down Main Street to head home, she looked back up at the apartment and saw the lamp still shining brightly through the window. Assuming that she somehow forgot to turn off the light, she dashed back to the apartment, turned it off, and then proceeded back down to the street, yet still. As she walked down the road, it was clear that the lamp still remained on. Confused, she went back up again, and this time completely unplugged the lamp in the case that there were electrical issues present. When she left the apartment, she double-checked the locks just in case someone was trying to mess with her. The janitor headed back down Main Street, and again observed the window. She gazed at the window and couldn't believe her eyes as she saw the lamp flicker right back on in front of her. If that wasn't enough, the window curtains then abruptly closed as if someone inside no longer wanted to be seen or disturbed. From that point on, a decision was made to permanently keep Walt Disney's desk lamp on, to represent his eternal presence at Disneyland. Although the light has remained on ever since, people have reported that the lamp sometimes turns off and on inexplicably. Others have heard footsteps and strange noises late at night when no one else is around, all originating from the old apartment. Dan Aykroyd has never been shy about his intense interest in UFOs, and this seems to be a fascination that reaches all the way back into his childhood. Aykroyd would have the first of his own close encounters with UFOs in the mid-1980s in upstate New York, when he claims that he woke up in the middle of the night in a panic and told his wife, ''They are calling me. I want to go outside.'' He claimed that he had had this irresistible compulsion to go outside, which he credits to voices in his head compelling him to do so. When he did go outside as instructed by the voices in his head, he reported that he had seen a pink spiral over the Great Lakes area, and it would turn out that others had the same urge to go outside at the same time and had seen the same exact thing. Aykroyd would go on to become a fairly hardcore proponent of UFOs, and he would eventually make a documentary on his interest called Dan Aykroyd Unplugged on UFOs in 2005. And he even served for several years as the official Hollywood representative of the Mutual UFO Network, and he has accrued a vast knowledge of UFO research and lore over the years that would put most ufologists to shame out of all of this one of Ackroyd's more bizarre tales is an incident that happened during the taping of the final episode of a show called out there a series that was supposed to air on the sci-fi channel but unfortunately this show never got to air just before the show was cancelled Aykroyd claimed that he had stepped out of the studio to take a smoke break, but ended up taking a call from Britney Spears, who he had starred beside as her father in the film Crossroads. Britney Spears had called him to ask him to appear on Ackroyd's old show Saturday Night Live with her, and as he talked, he says he noticed a mysterious black Ford sedan pull up on a nearby street he claimed that he tried to look at the license plate of the vehicle but it appeared fuzzy out of the car purportedly stepped two guys in which one very tall pale man in a black suit had stepped out of the back seat the tall guy stared right at Ackroyd with a dirty look Aykroyd claimed to have looked the other way after noticing this, but when he looked right back after a second later, the mysterious man and the vehicle was no longer there. Aykroyd claims that the car disappeared out of thin air. Two hours after this incident, the producers of the show were told to stop taping, and the show was immediately canceled. Had the show been released, it would have made public an interview with Dr. Stephen Greer of The Disclosure Project, who was about to spill tons of testimony of UFO witnesses and supposed insider information. Unfortunately, no reason was ever disclosed in regards to why the show was cancelled.